My name is Jenny. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I'm really excited to be in the text that we're in and to like teach in a room with humans. I, um, I've had a lot of coffee and I'm really excited. So, uh, so here we go. So we're entering into a church season that's called Ordinary Time. If you've been around the liturgical church at all, that may sound familiar to you. If not, uh, what that means is it's a season where we kind of spend a lot of time just digging into like the guts of Scripture. We have the kind of high and low seasons in the liturgical year of things like Advent, Lent, Easter, which kind of takes up half the year. And then we have this other half that's called Ordinary Time where you and I uh, learn how to be like Jesus in the very ordinary ways of our life. We think about what it means to be spiritual when we like wake up and brush our teeth and make breakfast, you know? We figure out what it means to create rhythms in our life where we actually grow into the likeness of Jesus as we uh, live in moments that are not that exciting or maybe not that sad, you know? We just live in the everydayness of our life. We call this season around here the great green growing season. And that's because this is a time where we really get to learn how to grow. This is what most of your life will look like, ordinary time. And so we figure out as Christ followers how to live into that season, how to be like Jesus when things aren't too great and things aren't too terrible. Things are just like in a medium space. So that's what we're entering into. Today's kind of our first Sunday where we're really launching into that season. And one thing we do as a church when we go into ordinary time is we spend a lot of time in a gospel uh, really listening to the words of Jesus, some of the the things he says or stories about him that we don't really necessarily read in more high liturgical seasons. So we're going to get into some things that maybe you've never read before or heard, or maybe they just haven't registered in your brain because they don't seem that important. Those kinds of things are what we're going to read and talk about during ordinary time. We're going to spend a lot of time in the gospel of Mark. So if you were with us online at the beginning of the year in January... We already talked a lot about Mark. That was kind of our first jump into this gospel. And um, if you weren't there, that's okay. I'm going to give kind of a little refresher this morning. We spent a lot of time in the first chapter, and now we're kind of like seeing what it looks like for Jesus to be in the world, doing his ministry, watching what happens to the world around him when he starts to do these, uh, these things. So that's what we're going to read this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 20, which kind of starts in the middle of, of a phrase. And what's happening is Jesus is out doing ministry in the world and he goes back to his hometown. And the text says, and the crowd came together again so that they could not even eat, they being Jesus and his newly called disciples. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him for people were saying, he's gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul. And by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. 
a crowd was sitting around Jesus, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your words that are true and are from the mouth and heart of God. We thank you that we can trust that, that your words in your life are trustworthy because they come from God, who is ultimately trustworthy. So when you come to us in these these words and challenge us and say things that may feel confusing or urgent, Lord, that you come to us with the heart of a father. We entrust ourselves to you as we receive difficult words. Thank you for the gift of this text, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us and show us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think it's really good practice for us who, we Christians, when we approach a new text, whether that's together as a group or on our own in study, to figure out how to read that text, to actually ask ourselves really good questions. What is this thing that I'm about to read? Because what you have in here is a lot of different things put all together, written over lots of lots of years and in very different kind of writing and styles and genre and all that. So the way you approach Leviticus, not the way you approach Mark. Um, And and that's okay. That's a good thing. And so what we want to do when we approach a new book is say, uh, what is this thing? How do I read it? How do I think about it well? So I want to do that kind of before we launch into this text in particular. So the Gospels, um, if you have been around the church for any amount of time, you know we have four. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And they're these wonderful accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. And what can feel really confusing to a lot of us is that they have a lot of similarities, but they also have a lot of differences. And for some of us who grew up in the church with like a super literalistic reading of Scripture, that kind of maybe always loomed in the background as like a scary thought that these things that are historical accounts don't match, but Jesus is the truth? Like, what do we do about that? What do we do with the fact that these gospels don't necessarily say the same thing the whole time? And I'm here to tell you that, that it's actually really good that it doesn't and that they're different accounts. Some people like to think about the gospels as four portraits of Jesus. Um, that if you, if I were to pull like four of you out of the crowd right now and ask you to paint a portrait of, of Matthew, our lead pastor, there would be four very different portraits based on a lot of things. How good you are at painting portraits. How well you know Matthew. If you only know him from up here, if you've been to church twice and like heard him preach twice, then you're going to paint a different picture. If you're one of his kids, you're going to paint a very different picture. If you're a tiny person like me, you're going to paint a monstrous picture, right? Or if you're a taller person, you may leave that detail out. It may not matter to you. So that's what's happening in the Gospels. These are four people's individual experiences of Jesus written down so that people could know about their experience of who he was. It says so much theologically, too, about us as Christians and people who follow Jesus to say that my experience of Jesus really deeply matters, but it's incomplete without yours. 
And I need to know how you experience Jesus. We need to be in community together for us to get a full picture of who he is. So with all of that in mind, when I talk about Mark's Jesus, don't hear me saying like, this is, this is a different version of Jesus than is in another gospel or that there's some sort of conflicting reality of who he was as a person. I'm not saying that. I'm saying like we're going to get into the mind of someone who is friends with Jesus and saw him in a particular way and wrote about him in a particular way. Because it's important for us to see who that person was to the gospel writer, to Mark. So a little bit about Mark before we kind of jump into the text. Mark is the shortest gospel. It's the earliest written. Um, he wrote nothing fluffy. <laughs> he wrote everything that was like quick and simple. And if there's any story in here that's familiar to you, it's probably the shortest one of all the stories that are familiar to you across the Gospels. Um, he, he uses the word immediately more than any of the other Gospel writers put together. Uh, he's moving through the story of Jesus really quickly, really urgently. He's super simple and straightforward. Uh, for example, Luke uses in his gospel, which is long, the words, it came to pass over and over. Like Luke's Jesus is on a journey and he's taking his time and he's teaching and he's holding babies and like all of that. And Mark's Jesus is like every, everything is written in the present. Everything's moving quickly and it's all moving towards the cross at kind of like rapid speed and that it's, it's present tense because it still matters. It matters as much right now as it did when Mark wrote this down for his church. Which, speaking of, he wrote this gospel down because the church was being persecuted badly. So what I imagine Mark thinking when he wrote this gospel down was, this thing may not live. If we all die, how's anyone supposed to know who Jesus was and the truth about God? I better write this down, you know, and like hope it gets into safe hands so that it can live on from here. That's the world that Mark is writing in. So of course he's urgent. Of course things are moving quickly, you know. That's the world he's writing to. Those are the Christians he's writing to. And I think that Mark is actually coming to us for such a time as this, when we live in a world where things feel so unsteady and unstable, there's always like a new rift in the church right now. Um, there's crazy things happening. We're living through a global pandemic. I mean, we're living through a unique time that will stand out in our minds for all the rest of history. And what better gospel to be in than a gospel where someone is really urgent about the truth of God. And so I'm really grateful to be in Mark. Because to be honest, Mark's Jesus is frankly, hard to identify with. He might even be hard for you to love. As we spend the next few months in this gospel and read more and more about Jesus, there's not a lot of like tender stuff that you're like, that's the guy I know. It's a lot of really hard stuff that may make you feel provoked or may make you feel like Jesus isn't super personable. Mark's Jesus is one that is really urgent and has something important to say. So what's happening in this text that we read a moment ago is that exact reality playing out like live in front of us, that Jesus has important and challenging things to say and nobody likes him, um, except for these few people who are gathered around his feet ready to hear what he has to say. He's being challenged in every way by all the people who should be the people who believe him and should listen to him, namely his family, but also these religious leaders and scribes who've been waiting for the Messiah. Here he is in front of them and they're not just rejecting him, but they're calling him what? A prince of demons, right? Like, this is not a good moment for Jesus. 
And what's happening is his family's witnessing this and they're trying to like save him from this, what they think of as a crazy moment in his life. Like he's lost his marbles and we have to like bring him home so that he doesn't get himself killed or rejected. So all of this is happening and Jesus is, uh, rebukes them by saying, what you have done is unforgivable which is not the thing you want to say if you want people to like you, right? He also tells this parable, try to, trying to explain to them that he's not the prince of darkness. And what does he associate himself with in the parable? A thief. Jesus is not trying to win anybody over. He's not a politician in this, in this text or really throughout this entire gospel. So what's happening right here in front of us is what's uh, true of this gospel, that Jesus is, is making himself known as someone who's not here to be a politician. He's not here to win you over. What, do you, what is he here for? If you remember when we were preaching through this text in January, we see in the beginning of each gospel when Jesus is in the temple and he's starting his ministry, that's how each gospel writer wants you to see what's hap- what Jesus is here for, what he's doing. Anyone remember what happens in Mark? He casts out a demon. So for Mark, Jesus is here to cast out demons which feels very strange for you and me, right? It's not an experience where I'm like, yeah, that's the one I know. You know, like that's something you have to like say, okay, what does that mean for me? All of those kinds of things. So that's what Mark's Jesus is here to do. He's here to confront evil. He's not here to win you or the religious scribes or even his family over. And we have to sit with that and understand that and like feel the weight of that with him. So this is the portrait we have today. When I read Mark, which is a lot because it's my favorite because it's dark and twisty, as am I. And when I sit with this gospel, the question I have to ask myself before I read it every time is like, Jenny, are you open to the challenge of Jesus today? Because if you are, keep reading. And if you're not, don't go any further. And that's where we are. That's the season we're in as a church right now. So what exactly is the challenge here? What do we 21st century Christians glean from all this first century talk of demons and binding Satan? What what does that have to do with us? I think there are three questions for us in this text that I've been sitting with all week and asking myself and I want to invite you into. The first one being, where is Jesus in the thing or the person that is deeply offensive to me? In my life, What's the most offensive thing? Who's the most offensive person? What's the most offensive ideology? What's the thing that like makes you burn up immediately when you hear it or see it? React immediately. And where could Jesus be in that thing? I think Jesus wants us to ask. Jesus' acts of power were so offensive to the scribes and the religious leaders. It threatened their power and their influence that someone has come who's more powerful, who's challenging the status quo, making people uncomfortable. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders did not like this. And so it deeply offended them. And not only did they say, like, this guy isn't right, but this guy is the prince of demons. Like, they wanted everyone to know, like, this is not the thing. This is the opposite of the thing that you're looking for. So the question for us I think, is where is Jesus in the thing that is deeply offending us? If we put ourselves, I think, as good Christians do, in the feet, um, in the shoes, in the feet, of the religious leaders, which is a good thing for us to do, you know, where am I saying something is evil when Jesus might actually be there? Where, where is the Spirit actually asking me 
to find places where I get too easily offended, places where I Im immediately become defensive, or maybe those are places where Jesus wants to put his finger on you and say, let's deal with that. Let's think about that. Why does that make you so mad? Could I be there? Could I be saying something to you? Rather than assume Jesus most assuredly is not wherever the thing is that most, is most offensive to me, what if he's absolutely there? What if that's the place he's trying to speak to you from? The really risky question to ask ourselves if we're open to the challenge of Jesus in the offensive thing is, am I denying the possibility that God might have something new to say, even if it comes through something or someone that is my presumed enemy? Could Jesus be there? The second question I think that Jesus is asking us is, what in us needs binding? Where has like Satan taken up residence in our hearts free rent the past year, you know, um, which may sound like an extreme thing to say, and I don't actually think that it is. We've all been living in this really strange world where we're disconnected from one another, and it makes it so easy to see other people as our enemy. Um, we all like criticize a lot, you know, the whole thing of like turning your comments off on social media. I wake up every morning and I'm like, Lord, if you could just turn my comments off on my life today, I'd really appreciate that. I need like no comments today. And yet like we so freely offer our comments to other people like, oh, have you done one singular act of anything? Then let me criticize you about it. Let me give you my opinion on what this has been. And that's like the place in, in me where I feel Jesus saying like the world doesn't need you your voice on that, my child. Maybe you could love people today. Maybe you could believe the best about people. There's something in me that's like lurching out at other people wanting to give my voice that I hear the Spirit of God saying, pull back. Believe the best about that person. Don't try to change this. Don't put your hands on this. Like, let me do what I do in the world. Equating like an unhealthy perspective shift that we may have had over the last year or so with binding Satan may feel dramatic, but I don't think it's dramatic to God. The thing in me that makes my, someone near me my enemy more quickly than my friend is not, it's not dramatic that God would want to bind that in me. So the question is, where has the strong man taken residence in you? And where does the one who is stronger need to come and bind that thing? Because that's the good news about this text. You know, if we want to see something really good and, and true speaking into your life through this text, I think this is in particular it, that the world is filled with evil, personified evil. We, we all know it. We've seen it at different points in our life, sometimes more than others. We've seen what this strong thing looks like and feels like in us, the thing that keeps us from flourishing, the thing that pulls us back from the people that we want to be. And we see it out in front of us in the world that's suffering before our eyes. And what Jesus says, and Mark in particular is saying, like, this is the Jesus I want before you, is there is a strong man in this world, but there is one who is stronger. And he's come to bind the things in you that you cannot bind on your own. The places in you that you're like, I can never do this, fix this, be better. Jesus has come to say, I can, though. I can do all those things for you. So the last question I think for us is, who have I surrounded myself with? Who am I surrounding myself with? Are they people seeking to do the will of God? 
the last part of this text comes back to Jesus's family who like in the beginning is trying to corral him and say like, okay, Jesus, you're, um, you're putting yourself out there in a way that makes us uncomfortable. We're worried about you. We'd really like for you to come home. And the thing that I really appreciate about having multiple gospels is what we know, you know, maybe we wouldn't just from this text, but we know from all the gospels is that Jesus did have a really loving relationship with his family. So what we know from this text is like Jesus is like the rest of us. And he had a really complex relationship with those he was um, related to, those he grew up with. He's just like a guy like you and me with a complicated family life. And that's not the thing that we're supposed to focus on in this text, although we want to because that's the thing that feels most offensive that Jesus would say, no, you can't come in here or you're not my family. And that's not what Jesus wants us to, to, to sit on or think about. What he wants us to know here and bring our attention to it is the necessity of a community of believers if, and if we are going to become like him, if we're going to follow him. Who's speaking into your life? Who's surrounding you? Who has the loudest megaphone in your life? That's what Jesus is asking. Like, if you want to do this with me and it feels hard, ask yourself who's speaking into your life around you. Because the more you have people who are wrestling with scripture and praying and really asking themselves, asking God where their life is going and what they're doing, people who worship, people who are thinking deep thoughts about God and their life and theology and people who really care about loving their neighbors and putting themselves out there and risking for the sake of the gospel, those are the kinds of people who are going to build you up in the kind of person you're meant to be. And if those people are mostly online for you, loudest megaphones, we have to work on that we got to get our life back in person, but from, through real humans who are really speaking to you. It's the way that we're going to be built up in such a way that we can live in freedom. That's what Jesus wants you to know. It actually frees you to be in community and close community with people who are like him. It's challenging, but it will make you a more free person. So those are our questions for today. I was very jealous that Matthew got to preach from the text that he preached from last week, which was like, you know, Mother Jesus spiritually birthing us, and he just holds us forever in his arms as tiny babies. And like, I, I, then I read this text at the beginning of last week, and I was like, this is a different vibe uh, than that. Um, and, and yet, the two texts back to back are exactly who this person is. Um, as my sister-in-law calls herself, a no-nonsense nurturer is who Jesus is which I think is a really helpful way to think about texts that may feel strange or challenging to us. The challenge of Jesus is a challenge of love. He challenges us because he loves us. The stakes are too high to be coddled. He wants to love us into a place where we are more like him, and sometimes that means shocking us or offending us or challenging us. And I want to ask myself all the time, like, Lord, where are you offending me so that I might see what needs to be seen? Wake me up. Take me out of the place where I am, where it, everything feels like comfortable. Take me into the place where you want to challenge me and, and show me something new. Make me better. Put me into the place where I need to be. I want to be able to hear those words from him and not just like demand, you know, the prodigal son or Jesus making fish for Peter on, a, on the on the beach, you know? Those are good, good and wonderful stories. But I want to be open and, and ready for the, the harder things that he might say to me. This Jesus is urgent, but he's not tough. He's Jesus. 
And that is the gift of being a Christian, is that you and I get to be Jesus for and to one another. Someone famous who I should know who it was once said, if you look into the face of a brother or a sister, you've looked into the face of Jesus. And so today, if you need companionship, if you need love, if you need forgiveness, if you feel challenged by Jesus and need someone to tell you that you're loved and forgiven, like that's our job, you know, to tell that to one another and to speak it over each other. Um, So a few of us will be at the front. If you would like prayer um, or just someone to talk to, we'd love to talk with you. Um, So go be challenged by the one that loves you this week. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. We're so glad you were here. Have a wonderful week. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, Emmanuel, A-T-L, Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.